You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Welcome back to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Kevin Truitt. Robert Thomas. Lex Cardone. And we're recording on September 22nd, 2019. So, Kevin, welcome back. It's been a couple months. Yeah, a couple months. We've missed you, buddy. Yeah, let's not go that far. He was, <laughs> he was in exile, uh, deep <laughs> so, in the wilderness. Self-imposed. Self-imposed. Mm-hmm. Living in the woods, down by the river, in a van. <laughs> you know. What else would we respect? <laughs> He means in Rock Creek Park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they keep chasing away. He keeps coming back. He's really persistent. But uh, <laughs> anyway, welcome back. Um, so today we're going to be doing a kind of different episode. We're going to look at a historical precedence rather than... We've been doing a lot of current affairs lately. Um, so we're going to kind of bring it back a little bit. And we're going to talk about Berlin. And we're mostly talking about Berlin because of our beer today. Um, <laughs> what are we drinking, Ryan? We're drinking Hofbrau... Octoberfest beer. Ah, yeah, yeah. So everybody, crossed. Uh, <laughs> Let it be noted that uh, it's an episode on Berlin, and you got a Bavarian beer. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's from Munich. Well, here's the thing. Bayern München. Germany is united now, and it's all the same. So there are no regional variations whatsoever in Germany. <laughs> they are all the same. <laughs> Every, everything is uniform. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it's mostly because um, one, I've had a half barrel beer, cause, and that's great. But also because I was beer shopping for like some older episode. I think it was cashmere. Yeah. And uh, I found the five liter keg of half barrel. I was like, well, oh, we're doing an episode on oh. Germany now. I can't even think of a Berlin or a Brandenburger. Is there a Brandenburger beer? I'm sure they make beer everywhere. It's because they're all horrible. Yeah. yeah. Brandenburg, the Bavarians I mean, do it better. We understand. Yeah, Brandenburger, I mean, it's okay. It's not, this is way better. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about Germany kind of as more as a whole. But anyway, well, so... United Germany. Or not. Or not. United. Or not. Well, it depends on the time period we're going to discuss. And since the time period we're discussing, has Germany divided? But before we get... So let's rate the beer. Right. Oh, yes. Um, let's see again. Crisp, clear. A little light on the the end of the at the end of the sip, but it would, it's out of five. Uh, yes. Um, I'll give it a. Uh, do I want to give it a four or a four and a half? Four point two five. Four point two five. Let's do what that. The difference, so. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not to say it's not excellent because it is. Yeah, it's but a really smooth. I, beer. I just I just have a personal preference towards more interesting beers, especially on the back end. Yeah, not boring German beers. Not boring, very pure, very good German beers. I, I, it yeah. is very no. pure. Yeah. I, I there would... are no impurities <laughs> in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they I have been just... removed. Well, this apparently is you don't get hung over from rails. it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's so, so pure not... you don't get hung over from it. Speaking so, of unless you drink too much, but speaking of which, you know, I mean, I'm sure if you've been to Munich, the Hofbrau like. Uh, beer garden like it's like a building they still have a lot of they do like tours of it it's a tourist trap but at the same time it's also got still a lot fun of, like, to Nazi. go to that's the the where the uh, beer hall push started i think oh really yeah huh 
Um, it's also where the the predecessor to the Nazi party started their meetings. No, it was a smaller bar down the street. Yeah, yeah now, it's now, now it's a now it's a Apple Store. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> at least at least when I was there last. Some weird yeah, wow. It, it has a it has a weird plaque on the side. It's like this is what it used to be. It just to be like acknowledging, hey, this was here. <laughs> well, at least Hitler is in in the ground spinning somewhere, knowing that the financier capitalists have taken over his his favorite spot. So, <laughs> cheers to that. The pure and white apple, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, anyway, so, bad Nazi beating that. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about Nazis today. Um, well, I mean, it'll come up a little bit, but anywho, um, kind of, so we're we're gonna we'll kind of set the scene. Um, you know, it's in World War, it's towards the end of World War Two, May second. Uh, the Soviets take over Berlin, conquer it, and that whole process starts. And then five days later, Nazi Germany surrenders. And it's like, okay, yay, we won, allies together. Now it's time to divide up the country. Um, and they went about, you know, they did their four-sector plan for the entire country. So, Eastern, like large chunk of Eastern, uh, Eastern Germany is now occupied by the Soviets. And then the western half is shared by the French, British, and Americans. And Berlin was exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Berlin, it, it, just so people are... Oh, no, go ahead. ...are aware of the geography. Uh, Berlin is not, like... It wasn't in the middle. They split it, like, really super even like, down the line. It, Berlin's, like, a couple hundred kilometers behind, like, in eastern Germany, almost closer to the Poland border. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it just, you know, so that was a whole thing starting out. And, you know, it was pretty, I mean, at least between the allies, it was pretty kumbaya for a little bit. It was like, okay, yeah, we won. It was, you know, be cool. The Soviets were like, you know, immediately after, even after, you know, before the other factor, uh, factions started getting into Berlin, they kind of started splitting it up and, and look over that kind of stuff was, you know, just pillaging, essentially. Yeah. Well, there was significant suspicion of, you know, the Western Allies by the Soviets and vice versa, even mm-hmm. during yeah. the fighting itself. So this this wasn't exactly new, or a lot of people predicted this kind of relationship would sour quickly after there was no more Nazi Germany and to fight. But so it's actually interesting. Watch if you look at how the Soviet Union fought the war. It could have probably ended you know months earlier, but the Soviets decided instead of going straight to Berlin and you know beating the Nazis in Germany. They would conquer all of the countries in they, Eastern Europe right. because Stalin, you know, presciently, as much of a tyrannical asshole as he was, was like, well, I want to control all this. And so, yeah, the classic, you know, innate Russian desire for more security, space, breathing room, whatever you want to call it in however, well, not, whatever bias, you know. <laughs> but not just that. I mean, we're talking about a, an era of... Soviet communism that is very much bought into the idea of the global communist revolution with Russia as as the leader of that. They mm-hmm. they wanted to be the imperial and ideological center of something grand and global. Well, so gobbling the, up more and yeah, more is part of that. But since it is gobbling, I mean, that it definitely is part of that, and that's something they never fully got rid of, but they did... In, I mean, this is not the Soviet Union of Lenin and Trotsky. This is the Soviet Union of Stalin, socialism in one country. So it's all that's you know primarily building socialism where you are and using events like World War II to expand the scope of it and supporting places like Cuba or wherever else, Angola. That you know, pursuit of global hegemony and you know, global or uh, imperialism with uh, Soviet characteristics. I would call it. Uh, we love that, don't we? 
Yeah. We've used it like that. Like we've definitely switched out a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that was the the kind of the issues that was arising. Like, oh, even like what was like? I think it was Patton who was. It was just like we should keep marching to Moscow. And it's like, well, settle down, buddy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like there's a, still a lot of Soviets left, even though like what, thirty million died. Not all against not not all by the Germans, but you know, it's not that's not either here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in the early years, you know, Ber- uh, Germany and Berlin gets gets split up between the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, and the Federal Republic of Germany, mm-hmm. more commonly known as West Germany. And East um, Germany. Ha- but even 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 before those were even um, really built up, it was like the first. There were ma- occupation zones. Yeah, yeah. and then the first right. really the first major crisis, like that we would consider the Cold War, was um, was the Berlin blockade, which essentially started up I, because of a currency issue. I mean, there's a lot of other things that were going on, but it was mostly a currency issue because the Deutsch, new Deutschmark in West Germany was. Where it was valued so much more than um, I forget what they're but you know, they're using in the East. But I mean, before you even get to that point, I think it's it's important to note that the division of Berlin as a city and Germany as as a country and territorial unit had kind of started out as okay. What's the uh, sort of expedient means of administering things in the aftermath of the war? Like how do we divide up responsibility for disarmament, reconstruction, stabilization, etc.? But then that transformed into a more enduring political, uh, sort of semi-permanent division. I mean, you you have the American, British, and French zones combined into what becomes a new distinct German state, yeah. and then the Soviet zone constructed as a new distinct German state uh, to to some degree uh, independent, even if the Soviets were still uh, very much the the ones kind of dominating the scene. It was, like, so a, it you, was like a Germany, German puppet with a Soviet hand in it. Yeah. Uh, and but simply, so you, we, the more, we had the same thing going on in the West with the Marshall Plan, and so it's... Similar, like different details, but similar levels oh, of control and on, we're the, all on the macro over, scheme of things. And we're all fighting over who could get the Nazi scientists. Yes. Yeah, it's called NASA. Operation. But, and but I, the Russian cosmonauts. <laughs> but, but I think one thing that's important to, to keep in mind, even with things like the, the Marshall Plan and the original mm-hmm. uh, development of, of West Germany, is that the U.S. and, and other kind of members of the, the coalition in World War II and then of NATO, they had sort of distinct interests related to stopping the spread of communism mm-hmm. uh, that were hard lines, but they didn't actually continue to subsume the sovereignty of West Germany or other European mm-hmm. countries right. on this side of the Iron Curtain, whereas in the Soviet case... They never they they delegated a lot of things to uh, the they're, East they're German government yeah. <laughs> and to other other uh, governments within the Warsaw Pact, yeah. uh, their alliance structure on on the communist side of the Iron Curtain. But the Soviets maintained a very different sort of right. interest in strategic decision making and veto authority over any possible yeah. aspect of domestic politics which we saw in cases where you had attempts to to domestically change politics and government in some of the warsaw pact countries get 
squashed by Soviet people tanks. People love to forget Hungary and the Czech. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I didn't mean to suggest that it, it was it was one for one. I mean, there would never have been a De Gaulle like situation in Poland or Romania where they he kind of charted France's own foreign policy goals and and domestic policy goals. So yeah, um, the Soviets had their way of doing things. But even so, you, so <laughs> generally involved tanks. Generally yeah. involved tanks. <laughs> so many tanks. Now we know where China got it from. Yeah. Um, well, you mean also the whole thing of Germany is like you got to remember, like, oh yeah, they were not the Nazis who conquered, you know, half of Europe. So it's like, all right, you still got to occupy them. Like, you get, you can let them do other. They want to do things, but still, it's like. Yeah, and know. there are certain schools that's you know Prussian militarism was the cause or could have been a such like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not not. Obviously, the causes of World War One are debated to yeah. to death. But one of the theories is that Prussian militarism was the thing that turned regional war into a you know a globe spanning catastrophe. So, um, in, in hindsight, twenty twenty, maybe it wasn't the way to approach things. But this idea that we need to prevent Germany from infecting the world with mm. you know every time France and Germany go at it, the world suffers. So oh, there I... was this kind of. I think we you, need to we need to keep Germany. We you look Germany at down. you know that like almost a hundred now, seventy years. You know after German unification, you've got all of a sudden. You know first you have the wars against France. You know France gets its ass kicked or yeah. Austria first, then France. Then you've got a united Germany. Then after Bismarck, you have World War One, World War Two. It's like well, there's a little bit of a pattern here. Germany seems to be the you know the catalyst. I mean, it's obviously not. Yeah, the only catalyst, but yeah. like having the, a strong... the French are certainly not innocent in this. <laughs> well, or the Russians, marching across the Rhine, the British, yeah, um, yeah. We did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's interesting to me that reading a little bit about this subject and you know before, uh, before this podcast, like how um, it wasn't just. I mean, you think of the Warsaw Pact, you think of kind of control of you know nation states foreign policy and sort of forming into these blocks. But it was also for this in the Soviet case, it was also. Um, they used a lot of their domestic policy and their economic policy as it in a, and they kind of did a test case in a lot of these countries that, mm-hmm. you know, you had the, um, the sort of uh, economic reform, the five-year plans that were, you know, shifting of consumer good production and everything to all heavy industry, all like you had, I mean, five six years after the war ended, the GDR's military spending was maybe eleven percent. Yeah. of their GDP and this is a country that was leveled and you know could and so even when the GDR was doing well and many of the Warsaw Pact countries were being very productive in the 60s and 70s you had massive electricity shortages food shortages even in when you had on paper very low unemployment very high productivity and a lot of people thinking hey you know especially in the 70s um, when America is afflicted you know, by stagflation and People are thinking, you know, maybe the Soviet model is the way to do things until it until tragically you, wasn't. Until you see how it actually plays <laughs> out over time. Right. And how the utopian dream of if only we have the smart, public-spirited people making all the decisions about how to allocate resources turns and, out not to pan out so, when you realize that people just aren't capable of micromanaging things that complex yeah. and the, in a predictable reliable way and that these bubbles were basically depended on 
you know, factory managers inflating their production levels and setting mm-hmm. them up, sending them up to party after cheeks who inflated those levels yeah. to please everyone else. Yeah, so just everything, everything was built yeah. on, <laughs> it was just lies built on lies built on lies until. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was going to bring up because we actually discussed this in our Chernobyl episode because it happened during the, uh, the show. Like, you want to, because it, it was, oh. like, it was, what was it? It was a, uh. It was like basically they left it. They needed to have enough to kind of keep running, so they could, um, you know, the 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 plant down the way could like finish their production quota for the month. Yeah, yeah. And then that's like what helped. Well, it was like you know you got to maintain things even if you don't follow the rules because you're cutting corners. And so there's there's a really funny just to kind of illustrate like the the Warsaw Pact. I forgot where I heard this, but there's a really funny um, anecdote. So this like far leftist in the West, right, tells us family that he's moving to this he's gonna move to the soviet union um to find out the truth about you know all these the propaganda like saying like you know the soviet union's amazing like everyone's fed everyone has a job and he says uh all right so you know because obviously they're gonna look at my letters when i send them out uh anything that i am lying about i will write about in red and so anything written in red is not true so he moves to the soviet union so he gets in the letter back blah 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 you know things are okay, like, thing, you know, all this and that. And then and then the last line is like, unfortunately, there are, you can't find red ink in, in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been... Uh, <laughs> for where I heard that. There, really there are quotas for that yeah. here, so... Yeah. That sounds like a Reagan-era Probably. Soviet joke. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you see the, like, declassified CIA jokes yeah. about the Soviet Union. <laughs> it's like cats... Or the one like, about getting in line to kill... Gorbachev or something. Yeah. <laughs> There's already a line. I can't do it. It's like the um, the the one that's funny is uh, a a child you know is with a bunch of kittens and the 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 mom's like oh who, what are these cat- kittens and she he's like oh you know they're all communist so the 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 mom comes back you know the next day and she's like oh and he's like oh they're all capitalists she's like well why are they capitalists weren't they communists and she, he's like yeah because they opened their eyes. Oh. <laughs> I think uh, my particular favorite old uh, Soviet joke is guy shouts in the middle of Red Square that Khrushchev is an idiot and is promptly arrested, tried in a kangaroo court, sentenced to 15 years in, uh, of hard labor, five years for insulting the head of state, and 10 years for revealing a state secret. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Chernobyl, but funny. <laughs> and to be clear, this is not a joke that an American made about no, these are so the Soviet <laughs> Union. This is a joke from the Soviet <laughs> Union. Yeah. Yeah, Russians have always had this deadpan sense of fatalist humor that yeah, I find yeah. really <laughs> funny. So it's, it's interesting that, like, I mean, getting a little ahead of ourselves, like, if you look at the economies of, like, Eastern Europe, when, like, right around, like, right around the time, like, soviet union collapse or even before that they're actually doing better than the soviet union itself yeah um because you know, german work ethic in east germany yes no i'm sure that you can pres- or subscribe a lot of factors to yeah, that. yeah like yeah obviously uh, so but really... yeah but you do have eventually a, a really entrenched legacy of economic disparity between right. east and west germany and i mean berlin's kind of a a focal point for a lot of discussion of the differences between East and West Germany. But to this day, there are differences in levels of economic development and things like voting patterns from what were parts of East Germany to ones, uh, to states that were part of West Germany 
that are still traceable back to that legacy. Right. Uh, which goes back to what you were saying about how the Soviets tried to use uh, East Germany as a guinea pig for yeah. so many of their policy ideas. And this is it, that also extends to culture, because you see, I mean, Berlin off and on, but especially now is, is kind of the cultural capital of Germany in a lot of ways. And it's especially the eastern parts where of Berlin, which were, you know, after the wall fell, a lot of cheap factory spaces sprung up with, you know, art, basically the entire cultural history of the, of the city going back through the, you know, the 20s and 30s and the, you know, um, the jazz and the, the debauchery and this and that kind of, you know, um, and then moving into state enforced um, kind of, you know, you have to align with either the Nazi or the GDR Soviet model in terms of what sort of expression is uh, deemed dis- is deemed beneficial to the body populace, body pop- populace, Polit- body politics, excuse me. My German isn't quite there, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm illiterate in two languages. <laughs> yeah, and, and you kind of have that sort of um, twisting between um, in- intense oppression and adversity and kind of freewheeling spirit that kind of lends itself to the creation of you know art. I mean, jazz didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of country club people weren't making jazz. You know, a bunch of you know. This was a That's came classist. from the legacy of came from the legacy of slavery mm-hmm. and the pain that came from that. So and a bunch of rich white people, you know, you didn't. Yeah. It so it's it. it's just interesting what um, you know can what benefits can spring from kind of the worst of the worst of human yeah. and what humans do to each other. Which uh, if anyone who's ever looked at any part of history, it's very obvious that, that we are really bad about destroying each other and ruining everything. But Berlin blockade. <laughs> Back to that. Ah. So, like, essentially, what it was, um, the Soviets were upset by several things, and there's a bunch of other factors. The biggest thing was the um, it was the the currency issue because the Deutschmark in West Germany, you know, that the the you know, the, the, the Western Allies helped create, was doing remarkably better and is valued heavily more than the uh, <laughs> East. So, it was like you can still travel pretty easily between East and West. And you know, someone go so say someone in East Berlin like works in West Berlin, they come back. It's like yeah, there was a lot of crossing okay. <laughs> the border for shopping and black market mm-hmm. smuggling. I'm sure. Yeah, so. and then and so the Soviets are like, okay, we want you to change that. That was their main one of their main demands. Like, so they closed down the rail, uh, the rail canal and road system going from east uh, from East Germany or from West Germany into East to go uh, deliver stuff products mm-hmm. to Berlin. And then you know they're like, oh, they're kind of like okay they eventually they'll give in either either two things up they'll give in or they'll just abandon Berlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was one of the big goals. Yeah, was... and then, and then you know but the thing is like I think it was like some legal precedent where they couldn't close down the um, the air uh, air, yeah. you know, the air, yeah. air travel lanes, and they're like oh there's no way they'll uh, you know fly in that much equipment. Or not much, that much supplies for like you know. They Curtis Lemay goes, hold my beer. Yeah, basically it's like America's <laughs> like hold my beer, and then the, and they did it. Uh, you know, over the next like what almost year, they just flew in products, and like and this is the crazy time they did it because it's not like now where we have like, you know the, uh, the super galaxy, um, or the globetrotter. You know, or one of our, our the, the the modern U.S. military um, cargo jets, which were. They were flying C forty sevens that yeah. used to that flew thirteen paratroopers over the beaches of Normandy um, a few <laughs> years before, and that to me, I mean, the Berlin airlift is one of those stories that um, 
you know, if shows has pro is probably the biggest display of soft power by the U.S. military in its history, and the value of soft power, and because you still see, I mean, I, I there's stories to this day of Americans touring Berlin or whatever and running into locals and older locals and you know asking this and that and oh my father was in the Air Force and flew one of these and. You know, never having to pay for a drink because they saved an entire city from abject starvation. And it was in a way that, you know, it was totally novel at the time, flying, supplying a city of over a million people with these rickety aircraft and, you know, Soviet machine gunners and yeah. any aircrafts just ringing the place. And it, it's you like know. all they had to do is all they had the to trigger. do is open up. And, then and, and World the, War III. you know, interestingly enough, the, the West, you know, despite doing that, was very much there was a, a lot of concern particularly in washington and oh there was other pushback capitals. yeah but not necessarily put pushback but like there was real concern that the soviets were just going to go ahead and push all the way to you know the atlantic yeah. um that they would they would use this as an excuse to start a war right um and so that's and so if, it, if they wanted to they could have there was right. not the personnel to and that's yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is in the the sort of geographic and geopolitical context of the cold war where Germany's position uh, is distinctive in that it's it's fairly central in Europe and very very passable uh, mm -hmm. no natural for, for, for troop movements. No, yeah. Yeah, you know the, the and, German tanks rolling through the or not German <laughs> the Russian tanks rolling through the Fulda Gap. Right, and so you have you have this this context where the Americans and European members of NATO on the one hand and the soviets and their proxies on the other hand are both looking at germany as the sort of key geographic dividing line across which troops would move in the event of an open conflict between the two blocks and so all of this stuff that happens with the divide between east and west germany and then east and west berlin as a sort of distinctive focal point within that is couched in this intense focus from the Americans and the Soviets on the area as the gateway if everything goes to hell in a handbasket. It's where World War Three would start. Is like kind of what people mm -hmm. would like claim it with like what it the, what it actually was like the entire time. Like, and you know, trying to get rid of hindsight as much as possible. It was very. I mean, that's not a unreasonable position to take. I mean, you're basically thumbing your nose at the soviet bear and what's going to happen when you do that well it, it's also like it was it was like this this just even a propaganda machine of like all right well what's which style government is doing better you know who is being more successful who are people enjoying the soviet style or is it you know, the capitalist side that kind of thing so it was like it was very much a the com competing of ideals not mm -hmm. just not also you know they're all you know tanks on the borders and all that kind of stuff well the soviets outnumbered the western in Western forces, in terms of like military, by like ten to one or something. Oh yeah, yeah. it would be one of those things where it's like it's almost like, it, like for Korea. I think like the U.S. military is there, like they're there to slow the North Korean march as much as they're, they can. Well, <laughs> well, to be cynical, well, they're there to die yeah, so that's that the what U.S. I mean. has to get involved. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say that. But. <laughs> yeah, and well, then get involved for real instead yeah. of. But yeah, so yeah, and now you see the legacy of that. I mean, Germany. It's probably one of the if not the most developed country on the planet up there in the top five, right? But it's Eastern, it's very delineated along, the development is delineated along the old, you know, middle Germany boundary. And you see a lot of, you know, um, the political differences 
are there too. You know, you see a lot of these. It's ironic in the in the part of Germany that was run by the Soviets. You know, the most anti-fascist of fa- of anti-fascists or technically. Well, debatedly spoiler alert <laughs> they actually weren't yeah. they just said they were they just said they were um <laughs> you, you have the rise of parties like the afd and you know these kind of more... the, new, the new nazi nazi party yeah essentially yeah. It's, so the not nazi nazi it, party. essentially eastern germany was like we're nazis now we're soviet now we're communists now we're nazis again yeah it's like we were just, i mean we're, not really we're, but, yeah the like, identity over, crisis yeah. that has gripped germany for the last <laughs> hundred but, but, so but even if you look at a map like of, of germany now like you see the western part of it that's where you see all the u.s bases like the big ones like stuttgart oh, yeah. which is like euro common africa mm-hmm. and ramstein right. outside frankfurt which is like the, well it's all cold war bases that we i mean yeah. you know it's, it's, I think, I think why, why build a new one hundred mi- like hundred miles in the different direction? Well, especially just, yeah. especially not when you can uh, build Fort Trump in Poland now. Oh. <laughs> that's a that's a that's, that's a, a thing. God. That's a brilliant strategy by Poland, though. The, like, this it's is like, like it's, the it's fourth. Bad. This is like the fourth time today I heard somebody say something or write something like that. It's like, is this an Onion headline? No, no, it's, it's real. Not. <laughs> no, because but Poland, twenty nineteen, man. But Pol- I mean, Poland, like that's a that's a you know that's a brilliant move on their. They part know exactly ourselves. what they're dealing with. Oh, they. They're, uh, yeah, they're occupied. Whatever the Poli- whatever the I, I don't know what the, what Directorate of National Intelligence, whatever the Polish CIA is, their political officers are like. All you have to do, like this is <laughs> this is my salary right now. All you have to do is name something after this guy, and we'll get whatever we want. Yeah. Boom, done. Yeah. Sign my check. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I've served my country. I'm retiring. Exactly. Now. I'm retiring with. <laughs> Multiple orders of merit. I mean, realistically, all they have to do is say that, and then they're in his good graces, and he'll forget about it. And you know, ten seconds later, like a goldfish. Or just make sure you have people putting it in his ear at strategic times, like before making any decision or tweeting or whatever you want to call. And he, he, uh, Poland just be like, oh, you know, we're kind of fascist too, and then Trump's like, oh, I like that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so Germany. <laughs> I mean, Poland, anyway. Poland, don't look at me. Like, Poland's presence, like, not a good person. <laughs> Like, let's be real. Well, it's it's more struck it's more structural than just the president yeah. um, at this point. And yeah, let's not get into that. Yeah, another time. <laughs> That's a different story. It is. That said, did you guys see? Um, just a quick aside. See Russia's like long like rewriting of like Operation Barbarossa and like you know like the Molotov Ribbentrop Pact recently. No, they've been that they didn't they didn't actually. actually uh, yeah, they, with the they've Nazis been to they've been on a serious. A serious like revisionist history like oh we did nothing wrong stalin didn't go into a full-blown panic attack and lock himself in his room for weeks after the after the after hitler <laughs> after hitler miraculously betrayed that trust died in his own yeah. piss yeah later but still. spin you bastard spin because like you know you the u.s the u.s divide i mean you, you know after the war like all right cool we fought together you remember the time they split Poland with Germany, with Nazi Germany? Oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened. Hours of convenience. I mean, not it, not long-term interests. Yeah. And now you have it's funny you have half the modern Polish state is formerly was for, for years, I mean, forever was part of Germany. Yeah. And it just kind of shifted west. Well, that's because of yeah. the mass ethnic cleansing right. that went on well, in Eastern Europe after the war. Well, you know, the yeah. Soviets yeah. decided that the they would end part oh, yeah. of Poland and, in yeah. compensation, uh, have Poland eat part of Eastern Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, to make eat. up for what they lost. You know, win win if you're Soviet. 
It's like Soviet human centipede. I mean, from a Soviet. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, I need you to repeat that. So I, don't think, I don't think I no, picked no, no. up. No, 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 you're not repeating uh, that because then it won't be funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's all shit, man. Pe- the people have it's rewind. Like, they, I'm like, they can no, rewind. No, 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 I'm like, no, I'm like, again. so 30 seconds, I'm going to up, up, up his volume. All right, cool. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. It's just the old drawing of borders, just like. The Brits did, yeah, yeah, in the Middle East and Africa and how they ruined everything. America. We should do an episode on that. Oh, sure. No, no, that's definitely right. up. How they what? How they ruin everything? No, oh. no, I, no, <laughs> no, I, I mean, Ryan has thoughts. And that's <laughs> actually an episode name too, but also with Kevin saying about yeah. the border stuff. But anyway. um, I mean, yeah, so posh. yeah, airlift happens. Soviets are like, all right, fine, you're not going to back down. This is more because they're like, it's a thumb in our eye, but you know. You get this but we rap. censor the press enough that nobody in our sphere knows about it, <laughs> yeah. so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then they took it farther with building the, oh, I mean, not them, but the, the GDR building the Berlin Wall. Yeah. You know, basically overnight, like, oh, we're going to erect this giant wall in the middle of the city to uh, stop people from fleeing into the West. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that says a lot about your country, you know, when people are trying to get out, so you have to build a wall to keep them in. Yeah, it, it's... And that that was one of the I mean that was it was like a symbol of the difference between our like there was like there was the, the the fictional you know the not the fictional but the uh, you know, the idea of the Iron Curtain was like really I think I think perpetuated by building the wall because it's like oh look you're dividing a city in half and like and why because people kept fleeing across to uh, yeah well what Churchill made his Iron Curtain speech in the late forties was it yeah and um, now you had a physical representation of that iron curtain in the form of a concrete barrier so yeah and, and that meant more to people than a lot of these kind of it's whether we're talking about five-year plans in germany or that, it, that kind of symbolism well, is what well and that's why there was also came, so much symbolism when it finally comes came down. down yeah when in reality it was already you know this wasn't a one-night process um that went when the gdr finally decided to turn it down and so yeah, and, and I mean, you look at it, and it divided families, and people who worked across each side because you cut it. You cut, it's not that you cut like you know two countries in half. You cut a city in half. You know whether mm-hmm. like who controlled what was didn't kind of... a lot of people. It it wasn't even they were living in Eastern Germany. It was they were over there when they were visiting family yeah, or yeah. on the other side, and then the wall went up, and then now what? <laughs> yeah, it, you, you there's like so many pictures. Um, people, you know, mm-hmm. you, I'm sure you guys have seen them, but just, you know, people like talking to their family because they, they're, they're, it's like the house, like the apartment building, whatever, is like across the street and there's like a wall, they're talking over the wall, you know, yeah. hi, how are you, grandma? You know, that right. kind of thing. And just like, because they were just like, we're going to build it and here it is. And then, like, that's why like, uh, I've been to the, you know, I, I haven't been to the New Spy Museum because they moved it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they have all those, um, that section where they talk about Berlin and that kind of thing. And, like, the cars are like little compartments to hide people in the smuggle. Yeah, and yeah. that was the whole thing. It, it came very much like a spy. Like situation in Berlin, like like a lot of like older spy movies are always like this. Berlin comes up at some point because mm-hmm. the Soviets are always the bad guys. Yeah, pretty much. Right? No, they I mean, they were. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, guys, yeah. It's like sometimes simple answers are simple answers. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's not the thing of like okay, not yeah. There are there. Are, it's I mean, I guess they viewed themselves as the heroes of everything. Everyone views themselves as the heroes of their own story. Yeah. And well, in a lot of ways, we, I, I think we in the West tend to view ourselves as the hero far too often. But when you compare what, as Rob said before, when you when you compare what was done in Eastern Germany to what was done in or Eastern Europe and what was done in Western Europe, there really isn't a comparison. And you see that 
difference playing out today in the kind of old Europe, new Europe, you know, 70 years of prosperity versus 25 years of, oh, now we can be our, you know, be sovereign again. And what, what direction do we take? Do we take that in the, and you know, the direction of embracing openness or do we go Hungary's direction and say, screw, <laughs> screw you guys, I'm going home. Well, and, and I mean, to this day, as part of the legacy of, of all of these things, you still have a lot of unsettled issues in terms of, of how Germans and German political leaders perceive uh, German identity and Germany's role in Europe and in the world. Mm -hmm. And that feeds into everything from issues of, of what kind of defense policy and capability Germany should have to how assertive Germany should be as a leader within the European Union to what German-Russian relations should be like uh, and to what extent they, they can or should be a bridge between Russia and, and the Western European countries to, to things like European relations with China today mm -hmm. uh, and some of the political and economic ties there. A lot of these tangible, practical questions of, of culture and politics today are deeply shaped by the legacy of these Cold War divisions uh, as much as by the prior history that led up to them. Yeah. And you have, I mean, that question of what role should Germany play in the modern era is, I mean, you get different answers from whoever you ask, especially in the East and people who've dealt with the savageries and, you know, of both the Russians and the Soviets, or sorry, and the Russians and the Germans from time to time through years and years. And whether, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, Germany is now a major power in its own right. It, it ha it's economic, economic, it's an economic power. And this goes for Japan too. It's a major, major economic power. Um, should it not throw its weight around for the benefit of humanity more than it does more than it can because of its kind of own history and you know the limits that it's that's it that it's both placed on itself and been placed on it from the outside well, we've seen germany kind of do one like you know economically helping out you know their neighbors you know, yeah particularly greece who their economy is a joke and taking a lot of uh, and, and the refugees the, the bigger right. thing, like, what a million or so like it's, it's well even they, even they plus. still they have, but i mean i feel like germany with regards to the refugee issue hasn't really pulled its weight they they kind of they've done the thing where they force where they go where they land whether it's Italy or somewhere else but they've kind of there hasn't been an equal distribution of rest refugees throughout Europe that's, um, and that's um, been that's been a lot of what's gone on in the rise of you know Salvini and the five star well Germany's done more than a lot of other countries I mean dramatically so. well because I mean they yeah, they can it's none of it's been perfect but Germany no. has been one of the they're trying the leaders on right. the issue and it's frankly a, that's yeah. been very challenging in terms of domestic politics because Angela Merkel has been under fire from groups within her own party mm -hmm. who are much less comfortable with bringing in refugees so for, she has to years. make concessions and to, and yeah. so but it's also taken a lot of kind of nerves of steel to maintain as much leadership and openness on that issue 
uh, in the domestic political context uh, as the German government has compared to some of your other European countries that have been much more uh, prone to closing off acceptance of anyone, turning away, turning away boats at the coast and things. Mm-hmm. Erecting borders that didn't exist before. Yeah, and, like troops and stuff like that at the border, and like there's some like there's some like malicious stuff like in Bulgaria. It's kind of like it's weird. It's, it's a- funny. Bulgaria, Bulgaria is a fun. I mean, everyone is leaving that country, but they're also not letting anybody in. So. Well, because they're like, you're not like us. You're not allowed. <laughs> the biggest, in. yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so. I mean, so I mean, you. But you, it, that's a greater thing. You look at you know the Cold War Germany, and, like the split and stuff. It's just like. Reunification happened, and it's worked out for the most part. I mean, it's politically divided because, you know, obviously there's the different issues. But also, you look at the technical issues. Even in Berlin, you know, you're having, like, all right, you know, we're now, you know, together again, and um, none of our light bulbs work in your sockets, and all that kind of, everything's different. It's like a city that's it's so dramatically not, di- I mean, again, different because of, like, two different occupying countries. Well, it was or, essentially or rebuilt after 1945, yeah. so a lot of this stuff... <laughs> It kind of went along the lines of whoever had happened to be in power at the time. Yeah. So it's understandable, but also just, yeah. Like you see the different streetlights and the different crossing signs yeah. in different parts of the city. And, um, yeah, it's just yeah. like, I can't, I can't really think of a place anywhere else in the world. that's kind of like that, that, that has like that division of history, I guess. Cause you know, it, and again, like they were separated physically for like 20 years of the wall. You know, if you had, unless you had the proper credentials to jump across, but Cyprus, I mean, yeah. Jerusalem, maybe. Oh, I mean, West Bank is a... A whole maze of walls. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, the security fence, which is uh, not actually a fence, FYI. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a big fucking wall. Um, and, and guard towers. Um, and graffiti. <laughs> so, kind of like the Berlin Wall. <laughs> yeah, actually, 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 a lot like the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Uh, you know something about walls, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Well, I mean, I like I mentioned, I think the the legacy of the Cold War division of Berlin and of Germany still has unresolved uh, implications for all kinds of aspects of the country today. Uh, but I also think it's a lesson for us when we look at issues of division and unification elsewhere in the world and what kinds of challenges and questions go along with that. One of the most obvious ones that people have referenced is uh, the case of the Korean Peninsula and Mm -hmm. German division and reunification as sort of a a case study for how that might look. Uh, Although in the Korean case, it would be an even dramatically order of magnitude (laughs) more challenging given the, the extraordinary disparities there. But uh, certainly, the, these kinds of shifts of, of borders and walls and divisions between people are not unique anywhere in the world to today or in the past. And there are lessons to be drawn from how it plays out in one case that speak to other cases. And adding on to that, it's, I mean, it's not um, usual for me to look on the bright side of things in this kind of situation, but <laughs> mm-hmm. the w- the fact that Germany has been, you know, completely divided and split up, I mean, pounded to oblivion during World War II, split apart, put back together again, and within a generation has kind of emerged as this, you know, so it, 
this, um, you know, the prosperous beacon of Europe in a lot of ways. I mean, there's issues with Germany. We can talk about the trade imbalance within Europe. We can talk about the refugee issue. But the fact that the country can not only survive after that kind of century of trauma, but thrive, mm. um, I think that provides a lot of, you know, lessons for, um, obviously not everybody can be Germany, but, you know, lessons for how to well, properly can, well, do... Well, maybe Germany changed their mind, everyone could be Germany. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, like, Conquest. Eh, maybe, who knows. <laughs> but, like, lessons for, you know, the proper avenue of, you know, economic development and yeah. things like this. So, so th- there there are, as you said, case studies for success here. And like, also, just economic, you know, just, com- I guess, combining, because, like, that's mostly what it was. Like, okay, we and have political. two different economies. Yeah. Politics, yeah. yeah it's, like, it's, it's... One is one works slightly better. Let's use that one. Yeah. It could... <laughs> Kennedy, 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 Kennedy. Well, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it, again, like, like you, you've really pointed out, it's just, it's, it's, it's insane how... They just like all right, we're gonna work this out, and that means they can work because of their experience. They're able to work. I think other countries better than some because like okay, mm-hmm. we know there's divides and different issues and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, that was almost dramatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you did. I, I'm, I'm so. I'm, 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 I'm so sad that you didn't. Yeah, uh, talking. I didn't All right, I get a roll. Okay. It would have been worth it. Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry for uh, keeping you. Nah.